Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Crossover Commerce. You've made it. This is episode 150 of Crossover Commerce. This is my corner of the internet where I bring you the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce industry, where I bring on guests every single time to help us get their insight and knowledge to help emphasize and grow your business, whether it's a brand selling on Amazon or a direct-to-consumer platform, or you're just trying to take it to the next level. I want to have experts on this space and help you, the listener, to make sure that you're making the right decisions and just constant knowledge and understanding because this pace is always changing and evolving. You need to stay up to date with the latest trends, topics, and education in the e-commerce space. That being said, Crossover Commerce, if you've not been on this podcast before, watched it or listened to it, this is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong Payments is a global cross-border payment solution that has helps people uh, send and receive money internationally. So if it's paying out your virtual assistants, your suppliers, your manufacturers overseas, or if you're paying out your employees um, as well, that might not be in the same country you are, you can actually facilitate that through Ping Pong Payments. And also to date, we've helped over facilitate nine excuse me, $90 billion in cross-border payments. So that's 90 with a B, not million, with a B. We're talking about billion dollars in cross-border payments to date, now helping over 1 million customers worldwide save more money in a time where there's growing costs and concerns with shipping, logistics, cost of goods. Keep more of that money in your pocket and put that towards your margin. So it's important to look at ping pong payments, go ahead and sign up for a free account today. You can do so by clicking on the link below or in the comment section, or if you're listening to us on our podcast channels, wherever you might be listening to, this is going to be in the show notes as well. Just mention crossover commerce and That being said, uh, today's a fun topic. I always love to get into, uh, with 150 episodes. Now, uh, you, you would think as a listener, if you've are a friend of the show, you've known that we've talked to many different kinds of guests, uh, in this space, really excited to bring on another, um, again, the term aggregator in the space, uh, but from a different country. They're in Berlin, Germany. The, the company I'm, of course, talking about is SellerX. Uh, if you read the news yesterday or if you're aware of anything in general in the Amazon space, there's lots of excitement yesterday um, being September 1st. There was lots of, for some reason, everyone wanted to announce all this raise of funds and capital. Uh, there was an article that came out on Marketplace Pulse that said, you know, uh, there was 25 plus companies that raised over 100 and million dollars in both debt and equity um, to be able to acquire brands and aggregators that they're building and actually acquiring brands at scale in different capacities successfully in different marketplaces on Amazon. And that is what they're doing. They're trying to do that scale and do it with more debt and equity um, that they have available. So that being said, it's really exciting to have one of those people on. Yesterday was really exciting for uh, brands like Oslam, uh, you know, Berlin Group. There, there's lots of great ones that over just yesterday alone was announced $1 billion in raises. But today I'm really excited about one of the original ones that raised um, over uh, $100 million to actually date. They're one of the most that have raised capital. I want to say 267. I'm pulling that number from what I last, the article I wrote or read said $267 million to date to acquire brands in Europe as well as the United States. That being said, wanted to go ahead and welcome on uh, Daniela uh, Hale. For, uh, she is the investment head um, region at Seller X on today to talk about the topic why you should sell your Amazon business today. Why today? Why not wait? Why not yesterday? Why, why should you do that today? So, that being said, I want to welcome on, she said Danny, but I'm going to call her Daniela on uh, Crossover Commerce. Daniela, welcome to Crossover Commerce. How are you? 
Hi, Ryan. Hi, thanks. I'm fine. And I'm really looking forward to talking with you about that huge market we just saw yesterday or, yeah, yesterday, like how it works, right? And it shows like how, how big this market is and like probably uh, there will be a development the next year, like, um, yeah, aggregators will merge maybe, you know, so it's like really interesting to see this development here. Well, this Completely is my positive. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say this is my favorite topic to talk about simply because it's a, such an unknown, right? There's so much that's happened. It, uh, it, it really started beginning um, in early 2020, just to kind of paint the picture for people who don't know what an aggregator is. It's a business that with with capital, whether it's venture capitalist or private equity, they have money that says you can have access to it to acquire brands at a specific valuation, right? Um, SellerX, I'm assuming is. No better, but let, let, let's kind of talk to that process for you. What, what would be your definition for your business, I would say? Yeah, so I would say like at SellX, we buy Amazon businesses and offering sellers a swift, smooth and straight talking transition. And we helping just entrepreneurs to realizing the next stage of the business, right? So it's like sometimes they have limited resources to scale their business, so we support them through the acquisition of the company, but they can also participate one or two years more in that. So we're completely VC funded. So we have investors, really well-known investors like uh, A3 North, Triple Point Capital, Cherry Ventures and others. And we, we have more than 30 brands currently in different categories. And yeah, as you mentioned before, like we, we've just found it in 2020, imagine like one year and we just fundraised more than 250 million, just that series B in July was 100 million equity. And this, this whole space is like really leading by debt capital. So we got 100 million equity to build up a worldwide um, company as a brand group in a digital space. So what we do is, so we operate globally. So we have locations in Berlin, London, Miami, Shenzhen, so China, and we operate completely globally. And what we are doing is we acquire companies and then improving them through efficiency measurements, scaling by region, expanding channels, so like multi-channel strategy, and we push them worldwide. So this is what we're doing. And all of this is underpinned by deep specialism in tech and state-of-the-art infrastructure. So you know how it is. The whole game is leading by data-driven decisions. And this is what we want to do in our investment team. So it's not like you have a feeling in your belly. It's like you need to know where is the trend of the market, also for the niches. And this right. is what we are doing. And like Seller X, we always say like this X is means like we we look individually on every case and want to support like the seller experience in the whole process because like most of us they have been founders in the past and we know the few of the founders so this is why we always want to have the best experience for for the sellers well that's amazing and i think that this this space is like you said it, it's evolving quickly and it's evolving fast uh, uh uh fast and there's lots of money being thrown around we've we mentioned billion dollars being announced just yesterday amongst four different brands you guys have your own in itself and the distinction i want to make for a listener out there 
the difference between investment and equity, which is within into the company versus debt um, is completely different. Do you, can you describe that for the listeners yeah. who doesn't understand? Like that's a big number, but if it's not going towards the company or if it's just going to debt or it's just going to equity, those mean completely two different yeah. things. Yeah. So the difference is like this whole business model is based on private equity buy and build strategy. And in private equity, you have a high leverage of your transaction money. So this is why you don't need a lot of equity for the transaction. But if an investor gives you more equity, this shows like, okay, you should expand more. And it's not just transaction based. It's also like trust that you grow pretty fast. So this is like what I meant before about equity and debt. But it, it wouldn't be smart to put too much equity in an acquisition, right? Because you can work with that um, as well. So it's the leverage um, effect, as you know, guys. Exactly. So, so I guess for your perspective, what were you doing before SellerX, right? You, you've been in the professional space and what was your background? Uh, was it in finance? Was it in uh, mergers and acquisitions? What's that background like for you? Yeah, so my background is not the normal one from other aggregators, um, yeah, experts. You weren't selling in Amazon so. before this, right? Yeah, no, I didn't. But um, what I did was, so I just started my career in traditional commercial banking. So, yeah, I was mainly involved in the small and medium-sized enterprises in Germany with financing stuff and also controlling of a small, medium uh, bank. And the perspective of German traditional medium-sized companies is completely different to e-commerce. So um, it's like this typical, maybe a butcher or a builder or whatever. So after this experience at the beginning, I just decided to switch in strategy consulting. And there was mainly focused on digitalization strategy. So at that time, yeah, I had already understood that banking as it was then could not continue to exist like that. So um, yeah, during that time, I also started two businesses. So now there's the founder story, but not on the e-commerce side. Right. There so you go. Uh, one was like a one woman show where I just sold exam preparation courses to students. So it was more in the teaching uh, education cool. segment. And the other business was mainly driven by student demand. So for example, my founders and I, we just sold uh, hoodies and printed books and this add-on stuff for your university time. And at the end, we just decided to donate the profits of this company. So at the end, it's not this usual uh, story where you say, I buy a car or whatever. So it was just with the with the sustainable uh, purpose, you know? Yeah, your profits so, went to uh, yeah. a good cause, you should say. Yeah, so that's, right. that's amazing. So <laughs> what was building something that led you into SellerX, obviously? What was that decision? Like, what, what did you feel that the opportunity was like? Um, in the space where there's not a lot of track record, right? We, you can't, you're probably a numbers person. The numbers were suggesting lots of growth opportunity at rapid pace. Is that, is that a, is that a possibility or is that a scary notion to jump into? If you will. Yeah. So, so like the background of the story was that I also was involved in a venture capital stuff. So after that, I was like years M&A advisor, transaction advisory stuff in financial services. And then I switched to technology, fintech, insurtech. So this shows like I always want to do like new stuff. And this was something where, where 
really well connected in the whole venture capital ecosystem and startup ecosystem. And I was simplified, impressed by Salak's business and growth story and especially the founders team. So the story is like they, they, they are from Berlin, right? And they build it up a worldwide active company. So this was for me like pretty impressive because as you know, as a US guy in Europe, we don't have this massive group. So it's like where I thought, wow, finally someone in Europe to build up a really worldwide active group and yeah and then I just thought like okay I just heard about reputation it was really great professionalism it was like really good and also the talks with them were just honest so I decided like okay the company is great reputation is great and also there were two facts why I decided to go to Salex so one I just realized that e-commerce market will be one of the fastest growing markets in the next decade. They just like, you know, through Corona, the adaption of e-commerce was insane. Everyone was mm -hmm. like, just, I'm, I'm just lazy. I want to get my delivered stuff. So this was one point. And the other point was that I, yeah, have led workshops with large corporations, banks, asset managers about like future of financial services. And then I just noticed no matter what the business model is, the focus is always on the end customer's use case and satisfaction. And to be honest, in my point of view, no industry is as 100% customer-centric as the direct-to-consumer business. Mm -hmm. So this is why I decided. So like market trends, also definitely interested in consumer products to be honest but right. also like the end customer in the focus so that's well, amazing yeah. well i that's a good space to be in and, and you made a lot of good points i think in the space as it continues to grow um in the aggregated space uh people ask the question you know it's is it a trend is it something more of a future say are people going to get pushed out what would you say for like um because there's only so many sellers in the in the world, right? There, there's a lot, but a lot of people think that as more and more aggregator space come into play, they either, you know, we either cannibalize each other or they're all just say as this major corporation, like a, a Johnson Johnson, if you will, right? Not a bad, bad thing, but they have lots of brands underneath them uh, mm -hmm. going on almost like as, as an umbrella. What's the consensus over in Germany? Because you said there's not many in Europe. There's a maybe handful on one hand in both UK as well as in a couple countries, uh, a couple in Germany and a couple in the United Kingdom. Within the United States, a little bit more focused and that we're seeing more pop up in uh, in Asia. But is there is there a point where you see a roof for people coming into the space? Or do you think that there's just so much opportunity out there that everyone can play in the sandbox together? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think there are two different perspectives. So one perspective is they could also exist standalone without any exit, right? Because everyone is profitable. They just acquire profitable companies. Mm -hmm. But as a private equity investor, things is that you you buy an entry um, yeah, purchase price, a multiple, and then you looking forward to the exit. So you need to understand what kind of exit could that company have. And if you are not big enough, you cannot do an IPO, right? Okay, you could do a smaller IPO, but at the end, it depends, right? So there are some cases where you could say, okay, they can exist some years. Maybe they will be acquired by strategic investors, for example. 
such as Nestle or, I don't know, Henkel or this big corporate, right? They sometimes really acquire consumer brands and then they could acquire like a brand group. So this is one exit case, which can be happened. The other one could be that the market will be consolidated. So there will be like uh, mergers in the market and then they go for an IPO. This is also <laughs> something what can happen. And the other thing is like, Okay, what kind of exit could be also possible is maybe also traditional private equity companies will acquire them. This could be also happen. So there are a lot of different exit cases, but at the end, I think everyone has this focus on, okay, why can you act, when can you exit? Because like, this is the game here, it's private equity. So. Great. So I guess in that case, what, what are we looking for at SellerX? Tell me the, the stipulations on which, uh, a brand can come to you, uh, to the table. W what's the minimum that you're looking for in that regard? Okay. So you mean our investment criteria, right? Yes. Yes, please. Okay. Yeah. So, so it depends. So in the past we knew like, so in general, SellerX looks for Amazon native brands and they should demonstrate a track record and yeah, a high growth um, profile, you know, we just look on, okay, what happens in the past? And then we think about how can we build up this brand? So we think about new expansion in other markets, new channels, new product launches. So this is one thing where we take a look on it. And we also love brands with competitive review modes. So in their specific niches. So sometimes there are niches which are not really competitive because there is no one in it. So this is where we are always have a spot on it. And um, I would say like also high quality products with great reviews and also the reviews should, should be true. <laughs> so we also track like, are there fake reviews? This is really important for us to understand yeah. here, the product and the customers. Highlighted and, lately. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and there should be also like this case where we say we should avoid those where perceive a fatty or temporary in nature. Like we don't like to have this seasonal, you don't products. want trendy so love, products. Yeah, we love evergreen products. So mm -hmm. this is like where we where we focus. And from the financial perspective, we generally look on businesses that have a certain size. So like um, more than one million revenue, um, fast fast uh, year over year growth. So I would say minimum thirty percent per year. And mm -hmm. yeah, and the margin profile should be like twenty percent minimum. But the thing is, we only invest if we are convinced that we can hold this margin level in the long term. Okay. So sometimes if you have discussions like, hey, my margin is 50% and you take a look on, on the market, you understand like, okay, this won't happen like the next six months. So, um, and especially after a Corona peaks, we know that the market changed a little bit the last uh, four or mm -hmm. five months. So Amazon market is the most dynamic market all over the world, you know. I was right? gonna say both good and bad. Let's call it, yeah. let's call it what it is. Well, that, yeah. that's fascinating. So uh, you're, you're a numbers person and I think numbers are super important. Uh, how, how, let's think about this. As cost of goods and logistics have gone up four times over the last year, year and a half or so. Is that concerning for a business like yours to consistently try to, um, with cost of like PPC logistics and everything like that, is that a concern for you and your team to know that those trends will continue to 
grow exponentially, maybe cutting into margins? Or what's kind of the consensus around prices where they're at right now? Yeah. So markets are in general dynamic. So you have different developments depending on raw material, demand, right? So this is something what you always need to force. So we, we wouldn't say like the stick forever. So this is like market, market development works. So um, one thing is like Cox development depends definitely on the product. So there are some raw materials which are high demanded and also like this um, supply chain costs, um, I would say issues. It depends how you, yeah, how you, if you own the supply chain process, you have more room, you know. So this is why we, why we want to own the whole operations and we, we are on this way. So this is like why we will exist in the long term because we have this experience in the whole supply chain start from developing products until brand management supply chain management and also negotiation with suppliers and you know as it is you can just negotiate if you have a big pool of reliable mm -hmm. suppliers and this is like what we have so this excellence in whole operation is really important to be in a long-term successful. Yeah, and this is like what we do. Especially right. like I just said, market trends, it's, it's normal that you have dynamics in it. Well, is there, is there a, um, I, I know there's not specific brands you go towards, but is there specific categories that you feel most comfortable um, talking to? Um, almost like, for example, a non-starter would be, right, maybe electronics, I would say, like if I were to guess, electronics are very difficult, right? You have to constantly be updating. Uh, it's a hard product to cover in warranty, a lot of breakage. There's a lot of vari varying factors in there, the cost to make it, so on and so forth. Um, but if you go into more of like a home, or home and kitchen category, you might have like a little, little less, comp uh, even competition, but you have a little uh, more margin to play with. There's lots of things that are evolving and, and growing, not as much as a, a risk, if you will. Is that mm -hmm. is that fair to say, or what? What Seller X's kind of philosophy around that? Yeah, so definitely there are some niches which are really growing, like especially baby kits. You know, sorry. <coughs> um, no problem. Yeah, you're talking about baby <laughs> kids categories, games, things yeah. like that. So parents normally they don't want to spend money for. Um, yeah, bad quality for their children, right? So sure. they really look on quality and they would also spend more per item if they know it's safe, I don't know, safety focused, more safety focused, more quality focused. It should be sustainable. It shouldn't be toxic. So there are some points where they think like it doesn't make sense to buy like this, this normal China product for my child. I just want to have like sustainable products, for example. So this is one niche where where it's possible to have this unique uh, yeah value proposition and to be honest in in um, household and kitchen there's sometimes yeah challenges if you have commodity products you know as it is so especially in germany we have a lot of chinese sellers on the market and they have really competitive prices so the pricing game is here really strong and sometimes it's not possible for example, to have like a triple price for a pen. <laughs> so right. um, it depends on the quality, but Amazon uh, is, is difficult with this high premium pricing products. 
So it depends on the use cases and what kind of story you want to tell and um, your brand strategy. Right. Because I know that there's aggregators that are more brand specific that would go on just health and wellness, um, for example, or just stick in the specific categories. Your approach is more find profitable products, know that you can scale them at, at you know, profitably and then um, and then really grow out the brand itself. Is that is that kind of fair to say? Yeah, so we are more opportunistic, I would say. There you go. But That's we, the word I was looking we for. Don't, yeah, but we don't invest in electronics, um, as you've mentioned before, but in, in general, evergreen products. Yeah. Okay. So what um, if, I, if, I'm a, if I'm a company and I want to come to you, we've we set kind of the table in that regards. Uh, what, why, why should a company, what are the number or top things that you would convince a brand to say, like, now's the time to to exit a business is it kind of all those things that we highlighted earlier of, Hey, we have the ability to scale. Um, and you mm. kind of don't like if it, I could be a brand of one. And instead of me doing all these times of things or stuff, you have a team of, uh, you know, 50, hundred people. I'm not sure how big seller X is actually right now. Um, but you guys are continuing to grow and develop those operations. So you have a, you have a whole team dedicated to one brand and you have the ability to scale it, whether it's myself, I may not have the time, money, or, you know, capital to do such. Is that the number one thing to? Yeah, I think there are more trends why why sellers want to sell. So I think like five years ago, Amazon businesses were not founded with the perspective of an exit, right? It was more than like, I just want to build up my own company. It should be lean. I just want to be like this digital nomad where I can live where I want to more in this in this space. And um, yeah, and also some of the e-commerce sellers just built the brand as a side business as well. They didn't want to go fully in like this um, medium-sized company or whatever. So if this is the case, the exit opportunity is a no-brainer, right? So after transaction, Seller X will scale the brand with own resources and the seller can still participate without risk. So we contribute liquidity as an upfront payment and participate them in some cases with an earnout as well. And the thing is, execution and operational excellence is key here. So why is it so? Yeah, it's, it's clear. So it's our resources. We invest our employees, our teams in scaling the company of the seller. And this is why we are definitely cherry picker regarding our teams. So yeah, our teams are highly experienced also in e-commerce. They came from Amazon space and yeah, they joined for many years in this well, well-known companies. So this excellence is important for seller to know. And also the seller should be really aware of this operational skill of the aggregator because like, <laughs> probably they tell they talk to a lot of them <laughs> so this is why they should also do a due diligence from their side about operations and excellence in that space so the other point is like most of the sellers especially in germany they they would like to they would like to expand and grow but this is like the biggest, biggest challenge for them because they have limited resources. They don't have money, working capital financing until the limit. They don't want to get this risk. They don't want to build up big teams 
to to invest in that grow so also they sometimes they don't have know-how about the foreign markets especially like us sometimes it's completely different from the culture right so you need to close this cultural gap as well so these are some challenges where they say like i cannot scale this company right now so you should do it and um yeah and there are also some developments challenging for sellers like as everyone knows amazon gets more competitive every day <laughs> so in in different categories it's it's really really insane how competitive and yeah some sellers cannot compete in this niches in the long term they think so this is why they say like i cannot invest everything so let's do it but with you and um also yeah so maybe there's also like as you you've heard before there were changes in restock limits and so on so they just felt like okay i'm completely dependent on amazon i feel really bad right now so i don't want to get have this risk anymore after all these changes and this margin pressure so mm -hmm. some of them just feel like i just want to have a break <laughs> So, um, right. yeah, these are some reasons. Yeah, I have more like it's, it's like about if you if you talk with sellers, you get so many reasons. It's also about passion with the product. It's about I want to invest. It's, it's like a lot of reasons, to be honest. Right. And I think a lot of people now they, they see it. There's a couple different ways, right? There's an opportunistic valuation of maybe valuations are at an all-time high and they won't get better than what they are at. Um, but I think I also want to look at from the, the aggregator perspective of you're not going to just jump and acquire this processes because you don't think it's going to last a, a, a you know, beyond two years. Um, you want something that's going to last three, five, six something years and it's going to have staying power, right? Um, that being said, why would you, uh, maybe this is kind of a theoretical or a uh, philosophical notion why would you look starting at amazon native brand instead of maybe looking at a direct-to-consumer brand and getting a better idea of numbers is it just because of data is more accessible through amazon or is it because it's hard to measure just a direct-to-consumer brand that might actually be doing very well and you can still scale it onto amazon instead mm. yeah to be honest the conversion rate on amazon is the is the best conversion rate ever right so <laughs> It's like, it's very good. It's like it's not a bad. No, yeah, it's like a no-brainer. So especially the analytics is just great. So you find out a lot about behavior, customers, and also brands and trends. So this is one point. And the other point is it's easy to scale with a buy and build strategy on Amazon if you start with that business. So in the long term, as I mentioned before, we will do definitely multi-channel. We would definitely Shopify mm -hmm. build-ups and so on. But as a start, it's just great to start on Amazon because at the end, most competitive platform also just really honest, <laughs> really customer-centric, customer-focused. And like customers say directly if they are not satisfied, you have it in your review mode. So it's the high transparency you can ever have. So this is like for buy and build strategy, the smartest, smartest entry point. Right. Do you ever fear, uh, this is a notion I've heard a couple of times, is there a fear or a reality where you think that all the top selling products are just going to be ran by aggregators in the next two to three years 
pages one to two, and then it's going to be harder for small, medium-sized businesses to even break into uh, the entrepreneur space on Amazon? Or what would you say if you heard that statement? Yeah, so to be honest, after like this development and this uh, professionalism in that space, we just know that, yeah, with all this expertise from the market, it will be really competitive to go in this market in two years because like just experts will be in this market. And if you are this um, small seller, as I mentioned before, five years ago, it's, it was easy to go on that marketplace and to perform well. But I think like in two years, it's, it's more difficult. You need to find this niche where no one had the spot on it. And uh, I think this is like, yeah, really difficult compared to five years ago. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to say to people, you shouldn't try it because at the end, yeah, risk gets return, right? So sometimes it makes right. sense. It depends. Well, I, I'll give you my thoughts after this, but I'm, I'm curious, does that, if I'm a small to medium sized brand right now, should I be fearful of the any sort of aggregator right now? Or should I actually welcome competition and welcome in the space? Well, what's kind of like the, uh, the thought by that? Because... If I hear that and I say, maybe I may not be able to be competitive in top selling markets and there might not be opportunity anymore. Maybe I don't want aggregators keep coming and raising money in the space, right? There's a, there's a pro to exiting a business, but if I want to keep selling and operating myself, why would I want to invite that competition then? Ah, okay. Understood. Does that make yeah, sense? So like what, what's that? What would you say to someone who, who feels that way? I, I, there's no wrong answer. I, I can, I can tell you my thoughts and who I've defended aggregators as well as that everyone can play in the same sandbox. Yeah, so I think there are two sides. So totally understood that point with the competition because at the end, most of the aggregators also build up a new brands, new product launches, right? If they are in different niches, they would launch also new products. But at the end, this market is really huge. So this is one fact. Um, and if you have a nice product, really well-performing, quality, good marketing, whatever, it should work if you, if you are currently in that space. So just to say like that, five years ago, there was no possibility for an exit for an e-commerce seller. So it should be more like a chance and not just like a competitor. So sometimes we say to, to um, targets where we acquire, like, hey, it's so cool that you you that we can acquire your company. You can build up a new brand, but in another niche. This is mm -hmm. okay for us. So we think like this market is so huge that we allow everyone who just who um, sold his business to us can also found a new company. And this shows how we think, and also this shows how the e-commerce seller should think, right? Right. It's like. Yeah, I can add on to that. So yeah, Daniel, that's a fantastic point. And I, and I said the statement literally yesterday um, when I made those announcements, again, a billion dollars raised in capital. The the phrase that I, I responded to is actually someone to someone I really well respect in the space. And they said, scary. And I said, a lot of people are like, well, it's great because people can exit. And they're like, well, are we going to, there's this concept of Will small to medium-sized businesses and eventually once they exit the first time and they try to do it again and next time around, scaling at the same way won't be the because there's competition. There's aggregators that are now acquiring brands. They're taking tops, selling performers, and almost like pushing out people. But I said, 
how I think of this is think about a boat, right? Aggregators are going to be big. They're going to have multiple brands. You can't just ebb and flow like a small to medium sized business can, right? They can make changes on an instant that's only impacting them. You are or people who have 25, 50, 100 plus brands. They can't do that necessarily at the speed and uh, the effectiveness that maybe a one person shop can do, right? They, they can mm -hmm. look at the trends. They can look at be innovative in that regards. They can only worry about one. You almost have to be responsible for this a conglomerate, if you will. Like, mm -hmm. again, this is not, you're not taking over the world. You're talking about yeah. multiple brands you have to adhere to and you can't maybe take as many risks or as all these different kinds of things. So you have to think about there's, there's opportunity to be innovative and flexible versus consistent and have yeah. capital that can back that. So there's, that's why, that's why kids can mm -hmm. play in the same sandbox because they have different pros and cons to both. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe um, one, one add on to this. So I think there are trends which, yeah, which are a result from the digitalization, right? So mm -hmm. if you say in general, the small local shop, then you shouldn't say that because in general, like a lot of consumer products are, um, yeah, advertised via Instagram, right? So right. at the end, this this whole story also depends on other social media uh, platforms and not just Amazon. So this right. is one point. And the and the at the end, also Amazon, um, yeah. Um, went in this direction that the small shops needed to use Amazon as well. So this is like the same trend with Instagram. So this mm -hmm. is just like a phenomenon which is from this digitalization. We cannot change that. And we should use this point to grow and to build up great brands for customers. So this is like also for customers, they want to have the transparency, right? So for example, right. if you if you know a local shop next to your door, you would go in a restaurant or whatever, you would go to there if someone tells you, hey, this is a nice restaurant, you should go. And also Google tells you on Google Maps, I don't know, five stars, and then you go there. So like the whole transparency is there because of the digitalization and mm -hmm. we should use it to have good experiences for consumers, right? Absolutely. So this is like the same point, I think, right? Well, like like you said, well, yeah, the, yeah. the, the idea of the idea of trends, right? You have you have technology as it will continue to grow and develop. There'll be there'll be companies and services that will allow small, medium-sized businesses to grow. We're one of those. We work with the whole scale and plethora of both aggregators, but also small and medium-sized businesses. But that concept you're talking about different economies worldwide. So looking at opportunistic natures and what sells in Amazon in the United States may not sell in Amazon in Germany, which is why it's super fascinating. You're seeing more country centric uh, aggregators starting to pop up, right? You know, Germany inside and out. And I'm assuming like you and I think the other one is Berlin group. Like again, not many people will know the inner workings of amazon.com. DE, right? So it's, it's going to be, you have a leg up on the competition in Germany, as well as like the United States, but then someone might have it in Japan or, you know, I mean, there, there's lots of different markets where trends are different amongst economies. There's buying power that's continuing to grow on Amazon across the world, not just in the United States, because Germany is what number two market behind the United States. Japan grows as Canada grows, as Australia grows, as 
uh, you know, trying to gross all these different platforms, but then also you take that core and then build outside of that on different marketplaces, different, uh, wholesale and retail opportunities. Like the opportunity is incredible. That that's what I'm saying is it's almost impossible to have a, a corner of the market, if you will, because the market doesn't exist in the world. Like there, there's no way because there's always going to be new trends. There's new categories that will emerge, new trendy topics. You'll have an aggregator who wants to only do trendy things and launch it themselves. Say we can do that ourselves and, and launch that product and then move on. Yeah. So there will always be these opportunities. They're just going to evolve over time. Yeah, totally understood. So I mean, I'm from the fintech space as well. So what I know is also in the tech industry, financial services, also the services are worldwide, especially in the crypto space. So what I mean is like through digitalization technology, we are completely global active always. It's insane. This is the development like from the past five years, I think. And it it will continue, to be honest. I think like everyone will just speak at the end, maybe in a lot of years, just only English or I don't know. But it's it's insane how international business is. So and it won't go back. Absolutely. So so uh, so in that context, we're talking about 2021 and we're kind of looking into this is an exciting time going into Q4. This is probably the first like full year you you and your team have been able to plan as we're acquiring new businesses. What's the most important thing for SellerX right now? Is it um, is it establishing footholds for your brands in certain markets? Is it uh, the acquisition or a number of acquisitions you want to have in your portfolio by the end of the year? What are the most important things for you? at this juncture before the end of the year? Yeah, so so definitely the deal flow. So to scale via acquisition, right? Because this is the main business model. So uh, acquisition after acquisition, this should be running. And also, yeah, scale the existing portfolio companies um, profitable and to keep the growth high of this existing mm-hmm. portfolio companies. And also, like, I think all hypergrow company is forcing, like, hiring great people. So this is a big challenge, but we will get it because, like, reputation is important for that space. And, yeah, we are pretty convinced that we can build up the whole team in an appropriate way. Um, yeah, in the context of our growth story. Absolutely. Yeah. What about, um, so in, in terms of valuation, if I'm a seller, uh, and, and you're, you're looking at their numbers, right? Uh, this is the processes is submit numbers, kind of go through all the, the number of, uh, boxes that you need to fill in order to see like, you know, deal flow, how many units you're selling, like what's kind of the turnover rate, so on and so forth margins. Like I won't go through all the different data points, but what's the number one thing you look for that's actually, um, the most negative towards a brand's valuation? Is it, is it just the nature of either being attacked or just having um, seller central issues. Because I have a conversation uh, to to set the table for you, Danielle. Earlier this week, I had a conversation uh, with Chris McCabe and he was talking about not a lot of aggregators or like people in, in this conversation are talking about risk management in terms of looking at a brand, right? You have to look at the terms of, will my brand be attacked if I transition from them to us? Is that is that a component that not a lot of people are talking about or what's the number one biggest risk that you think Mm. that you have to worry about when acquiring a brand? 
Okay, so for the transition phase, so yes. we, we just call it onboarding phase. We we secure or just knowing that, that a, I would say like knowing that a brand is actually going to say what it's doing. Like, does that make sense? The numbers look great and everything like that. But if you are, if it's doing too well, am I opening myself up for uh, someone to attack me? If like, if there's like a shutdown or anything like that, is there, is there something that you're looking at that it brings the most fear in you when you are initially like you are, have acquired a brand? Does that make sense? Sorry, I don't know what you mean with attack so, me. So, and okay, so yeah, no, 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 it's fine. So, uh, no, that's great. Uh, so, using the phrase attack, and I'll take that off the table. Okay. So, when your account gets suspended, so if I have ASINs that have been suspended okay. in the last year or so, like uh, for a couple times, like once or twice, you guys look into obviously the reason why they're either not they're not no longer on available on Amazon. Like Amazon took them down. It could be uh, because of competitors yeah. actually attacking your brand and that, okay. that brand itself and uh, on the back end putting different keywords or uh, changing out images or something where it's actually mm. malicious against it. In the invitation, because you're a top brand, you might have competitions trying to be uh, malicious towards you. Do you ever fear for that towards your brands okay. that if it's a top selling in that category, we're inviting malicious activity towards us? Does that okay, make sense? Okay, understood, understood. Okay. So I think like <laughs> in makes general, sense to my mind. so I think like in general, every seller has this risk, right? In general, mm -hmm. so you have always the risk to get attacked via fake reviews, via sure. I don't know, maybe copycats they want to just copy you to get the reviews and then get fake reviews say same images and try to to get the rank so this right is hijack your listing something. things like that yeah, yeah so this is like the operating business right <laughs> this is normal to be honest you need to understand um how you can be pretended to to that space so mm -hmm. um i think like it would be strange if so if we would like to go in the product and then during the due diligence, we would see there are four copycats from China with half of a price, to be honest, difficult maybe, because like at the end, you don't know what happens the first three months. But this is a risk what always can happen, right? But normally we have a feeling like, especially for commodity products, this can happen. So it, it depends on the niche, on the category, um, and on the product, what what will happen. And mm. also, you cannot keep that risk totally from the table because it's, it's always the operational risk on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So this is why our strategy is to do multi-channel, because like at the end, you are not dependent like before. Right. On the market, you're not a one-legged right? stool. You're not a one-legged yeah. stool. You're only supporting. And we did see that, right? In 2020, you saw a lot of brands who were only selling on Amazon, uh, and they got shut down because they were no longer, uh, they, their their brands or their products were not deemed necessary. Or it was a, you know, when back before the uh, when Corona hit uh, worldwide economies, they were not accepting products that were not deemed necessary, uh, whether it's like necessary items for like baby or like goods and solid goods. If it was deemed unnecessary, you couldn't even get your inventory into a warehouse, but now, and a lot of people couldn't sell and that was their only source of revenue. So that's why the multi-channel idea has become 
accelerated for lots of brands and lots of companies like yours, I'm assuming. Um, I guess on the flip side. Sorry, again, one thing, yeah. one thing. Yeah, so for pretending the risk. So sometimes you have products where you need to do a deep dive in compliance stuff. Mm. So like in, in Germany, for example, we have different rules for consumer products, especially in the beauty segment. So sometimes some players go in the market and don't understand that there are requirements for it. Also in the marketing labeling and like what you say about the product. For example, if you say like your skin gets better if you take this product, sometimes that's not allowed, especially in the right. CBD space, for example. And then the people just do it. They they have it in it and then Amazon is cutting them. But to be honest, they should cut them because this is like illegal. <laughs> so Right, um, but for compliance yeah. reasons, nation and nation, you've been in the FinTech space. That's what we have to do to be yeah. complicit in each uh, country that you have to be compliant in. You can't uh, have falsified claims. Uh, you have to have certain checks in. Uh, if you make uh, certain certifications in order to deem it safe, reliable, trustworthy, all this, all this fun yeah. stuff that I'm sure you guys get to worry about and like, do we want to put it into that market or not because of how it states X, Y, Z. Does that actually, um, does that actually hurt a brand? Maybe if it's in all these multi-channels that you have, and it's not in every single like marketplace, for example, if at scale, you have to worry about that coming up. If I want to put my product that's in America and I want to put it in Japan, for example, uh, that, that, that requirements won't allow for that product specifically to work there. So that actually caps the growth potential of that product. Yeah. I think it depends on the market. So yeah, if you cannot um, put, put in the shelf of Walmart, this kind of cream, then you are limited, right? So it depends, um, on the case, but in general, I would say, one strategy, what is I would say um, concerning, if you have like a German company and this company is already multi-channel and this company, yeah, didn't really work well in that market, you need to understand why is that so? Is it because they didn't push the, the retail stuff or was it just that the retail didn't want to have this product in the shelf? So I think there are different cases where you can say, okay, if they already tried to go in, in retail and it didn't work out, should we want to buy that company? So especially in Germany, we have big retail like DM, Rossmann, and these are the biggest players in Europe, right? Lidl, Aldi. If you, if you have this relationship that they don't want to put your product on the table, it's concerning. So yeah, this is why sometimes it could be a risk for, for a seller to try to push it in multi-channel if it if it doesn't work out then you have a problem at the end i think absolutely and i know we're coming up on the top of the air daniela uh, again you've been so fantastic in getting like in theory and i think this is super important for our listeners out there if you're listening or watching this um to understand where this industry will go and then how how not just entrepreneurs but you as a business will continue to evolve and push business to growth in this economy too, right? We've, we've seen trends like how social media kind of developed the um, digital social commerce space, right? Um, E-commerce has made possible for small and medium-sized businesses to make their products available 
internationally, worldwide, however you want to call it, uh, at an instant, um, you know, to be delivered to you in two days. Like that, that's whole adage, like Amazon's delivered to you in two days. Um, but as the economy grows, you know, the German market, you know, Europe a little bit, I would say more than like ever, a lot of our listeners. Um, but what, what's kind of exciting for you in this space as you continue through this year and then next year, do you have, uh, what, what are you keeping your eye on specifically? Is there something that's under the radar that not a lot of people are talking about, but that you are specifically um, keeping an eye on? Yeah. So, yeah, as it is, I cannot talk about everything, right? But that's um, fine. There's something we're always like passionate about is to talking to sellers. And then you find out, so what is the opinion of the market, to be honest? So this is like something where I'm pretty, yeah, excited to have a look on it. I would like to go in the future and would like to know what the sales will tell me in, in one year. So this is like something That'd be where amazing. really, yeah, that would be amazing. So I think like the market works like, it's it's really important that you as an aggregator are a good entrepreneur so you need to understand the market and also you need to understand like the pain points of the participants in the market so this is one point why i'm excited and the other point is like i'm just excited to know how is the portfolio companies running like i love to know the growth story of them i love to know like how will be the the um yeah advertising digital work like all the stuff it's just amazing to see this hyper growth every day and also i just would like to know how how it would be in one and a half year and i'm pretty convinced that it will continue until then <laughs> so yeah. um yeah so you yeah so i think like Every aggregator has maybe a different focus a little bit, but at the end, I think the market is huge. So I'm not concerned about, um, as you said before, this pressure or I don't know. I'm pretty convinced that, yeah, that the good entrepreneurs will keep running. Absolutely. So, um, well, I think, yeah. I think as long as a company is innovation first and they're customer centric, I think ultimately that's where the success has to come from. And uh, as long as people are knowing that's the case, it's not a, let's try to figure out how to take over the space and uh, wipe everyone out. It's more of a, hey, we can operate and do it our way and everyone else can have uh, a seat at the table. And there's no, I don't think we're going to be overcrowded by any means anytime soon. I think there's a lot of cap uh, capabilities and capital to be had. And that's what's exciting. It's it's a growing market. It's, it's kind of a, well, uh, we think we can do it better. And you know, you're going to try to do that your way and, you know, best of luck. And all, that's what capitalism is, right? Like you, you're trying to make a uh, business better uh, year over year, day over day, however that looks. So, uh, but yeah, uh, Daniel, I know we're at the top of there and I don't want to um, squeeze you for more time. I know you're, it, it's late over there, but for people who want to work with SellerX or just learn more about the processes, I know we talked about your due diligence model and it's fantastic. All the markets that you look for, the minimum requirements, they want to reach out to you and your team. How, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, so you can reach out if you're interested on our homepage and as well on LinkedIn. So they can just text me or also via our homepage and get uh, contact there. So, um, yeah, we also we also work with some brokers. But at the end, sometimes it's easy to to talk directly. So, 
Yeah, feel free. <laughs> hey, yeah, as long as as long as what's best for the seller at the end of the day, but also for both businesses, I think everyone can work together in that regard. So yeah, so reach out to you if they want to learn more information, um, or obviously work if you're working with a broker talk to them and point them in that direction too. So, Hey, thank you so much. Um, I, I, I know I, I would talk to you more about this if time permitted, but we'll have to have like a part two or three of all the exciting things. Is there anything we should be aware of? Is there any news that you want to drop here on this podcast for us or it's a wait and see and wait and wait. stay tuned? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. I was going to say, if I read an article uh, today, Danielle, about Seller X, I'm going to be a little upset. You didn't tell me about it today. So, uh, no, that, that won't be, no, that's okay. I'm just kidding. I know, I know there's exciting things for you and the company. And I know you're one of those few who are growing in Europe as well as the United States. So continued uh, success for you and the team. And I'm excited to hear about and watch you guys continue to grow. Thank you. No problem. Let me, uh, again, thank you so much again, Daniela, for uh, hopping on today. This has been, oh, I'm going to go ahead and this is what happens everyone when you go ahead and produce yourself. You have all these different uh, malfunctions and errors. But anyways, if you're watching or listening to this live, again, we appreciate you spending some time today to talk about why I should sell my Amazon business. Again, such a fantastic conversation with Daniela of SellerX. Uh, they're based out of Berlin, Germany, but you can actually reach out to them on their website, just sellerx.com, it's in the comments section below. You can certainly check that out. Um, if you're listening to this, the show notes will also link out to her and her contacts as well, um, how you can reach them and, and, and see if uh, exiting is, is that time. Again, we learned about uh, multiples are high, reinvestments are high. If you don't want to have to worry about the headaches of ongoing cost issues, um, you know you got a brand, but you want to invest in another opportunity or idea. Now's the time to do it. I think uh, lots of people have been happy in their uh, exit. They're able to reinvest it into another business online, or you can actually do other ventures that you might want to do. That's the beauty of e-commerce and entrepreneurship. There's always opportunity available, and we kind of discussed and touched on those today. But again, this is Crossover Commerce. My name is Ryan Kramer. This is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest experts in the Amazon e-commerce space. Again, uh, thank you so much to Daniela and all of her uh, team for hopping on today, uh, for watching and listening today. And if you have questions, go ahead and reach out to her. But in the meantime, this is episode 150 of Crossover Commerce. You can listen to any channel where the podcast might be available, again, on Apple, Google, uh, Spotify, or any sort of podcast platform, or you can watch us live on our social media platforms on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. But again, I'm Ryan Kramer. This is episode 150 of Crossover Commerce. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care.